I left the city, I've been browsed. Treading water that they drown. My head on a swivel. Yeah. It's only really my surroundings. Hello and welcome to episode 169 of the Smash Accept podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at DynastyDadFF. Joining me as always is my co-host, Mung. How you doing tonight, brother? Hey, doing well. We're about, uh, I think, 19 rounds through our Scott Fishbowl draft. So getting down to those random guys that a lot of people have never even heard of at this point in the offseason. And uh, I've been watching the quarterback show on Netflix with my wife and it's interesting seeing, you know, the behind the scenes of some of this stuff and then also just the more interpersonal relationships, right? I mean, it's easy to dunk on Mahomes' wife for some, you know, video segments that get clipped online or it's easy to immediately skip to the fantasy impact of Desmond Ritter taking over the starting job and glossing over, you know, Mariota as a person and his feelings and all that. So it's definitely an interesting show, but uh, we're here to talk fantasy. So we'll, we'll get into that side of things. Yeah, I love it. And then one of our, our favorite guests, you know, started out, we've been talking together so long in the industry. One of our, our best friends at Smash Accept has really just blown up over at Football Guys. My man, Dave Kluge. How you doing tonight? Doing great. I actually tried busting out the uh, Smash Accept shirt today, but it is still in the hamper from when we recorded a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I don't want to be stinking up my office here. But yeah, man, I always love coming on this show. Uh, always a really, really good time. So thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, we had a blast when we were on one of your your last shows there on the launch pad. Talk to me a little bit about it. I know you have a new show out. I, I went and watched it, you know, with you and Alfredo. It, it was awesome. So tell me a little bit about it. Thank you. Well, uh, you know, Alfredo was doing the Pretend GM and I was doing the launch pad and they were kind of similar vibes to the shows. And then I would have Alfredo on my show frequently and Alfredo would have me on his show frequently. And we noticed that when we were doing shows together, People seem to like it a lot. So we ended up each scrapping our show, kind of combining forces. And now we are doing the Football Guys Fantasy Football Show. We've got three shows coming out every single week in the preseason. And then once the season kicks off, we're going to be doing shows Monday through Thursday with another fifth show on Sunday mornings to help you out with all of your last minute start sit questions. So really excited for the opportunity there. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and I watched the first show and I like I loved it watching it on YouTube, seeing where you guys were talking about your guys where you didn't agree, you know. And a lot of times on the show, John and I would agree on most things. Mung and I, we kind of go back and forth, and it just kind of helps set the tone of what the podcast is going to be like. What you know, what you guys are going to agree on, what you aren't going to agree on, and I, I loved it. So if you guys haven't seen it yet, make sure you guys go out there and, and check it out because I'm sure there's some things tonight we're not going to agree on. You know, tonight's show we're going to talk about the nuke news, and then we're going to talk about some some not just hot takes but some nuclear takes. So Dave, I want to start off first by talking about the DeAndre Hopkins news, right? I mean, it kind of shook us all. Mung was talking about Scott Fishbowl, and I got Tannehill. You know, really late in that, he was one of the last quarterbacks to go, and a lot of guys really got a deal there. Traylon Burks has been everybody's, you know, sweetheart. You know, Chig as well at the tight end position. I mean, what was your instant reaction here? Because so many people are – we talk about it all the time on Smash Accepted. We're playing the long game. We're not trying to do any kind of, you know, emergency-type cells or anything like that. So what's your instant reaction 
fantasy-wise, of the DeAndre Hopkins signing? Well, first of all, I want to say you got lucky getting Tannehill because I was the guy that took DeAndre Hopkins in SFB. And, you know, I think that's probably the biggest loser from this. I mean, if you lined up all 32 teams, I couldn't imagine a worse landing spot than the Tennessee Mm -hmm. Titans. And, you know, when I heard those rumors, I didn't really understand it because where DeAndre Hopkins is at in his career, I mean, he's already made well over $100 million. The one thing missing from his resume is playoff success. But then I started thinking about it a little bit more, and this is one of those moves that is really good for football purposes. It's not going to bring us a lot of fantasy football goodness, unfortunately. I mean, Mm -hmm. we saw a 22, 23-year-old prime A.J. Brown struggling to do much in this offense. I don't know if DeAndre Hopkins is going to be able to do much better than what we saw from him, but he's going to be a chain mover there. He's probably going to see somewhere between eight and nine targets per game. Uh, I think the biggest winner from this, though, is Derrick Henry because he has been seeing loaded fronts for the last few years. And now with DeAndre Hopkins there, they're going to have to start playing deep a little bit and and make sure that DeAndre Hopkins can't get uh, over the top there. So that's going to open up some opportunities for Derrick Henry, who's also been much more involved in the passing game over the last couple of years. So Tannehill is obviously a winner here, you know, getting that bona fide wide receiver one. But Derrick Henry is the guy that you got to move up your rankings after seeing this. We've been fading this guy year after year after year waiting for the decline to happen and he just keeps proving us wrong so anybody putting derrick henry in their top five i might not agree with it but i'm not going to push back too hard yeah i mean derrick henry's second in the league in stacked boxes you know over the last couple of years only really behind nick chubb and now you know we get a, a situation where we add an extra wide receiver in there we have a spot where you know now tennessee looks a little bit more viable among the thing that we've been talking about in the past will levis being such a deal in our in our rookie drafts you know like he kept moving back and back is this a scenario now where you know ryan Tannehill gets to start in 2023 the team looks a little bit better and then they move to will levis next year where now they're in a situation where they're not going to necessarily be in that top five range where we have to worry about what's going to happen with will levis i wouldn't change my expectations for levis long term but certainly i do think he may not start uh, in 2023, uh, I think the biggest win- winner here is probably Tannehill, where mm-hmm. early on this offseason, we were saying, well, if the Titans start 1-3 and or 0-4 or whatever it might be, do they move on quickly to Levis to see what he has or even, you know, still give Malik Willis another shot? But at this point, I do think they'll at least keep games close. Uh, we saw that they took the Chiefs to overtime last year. They beat the mm-hmm. Chiefs straight up two seasons ago. So I think the defense and the coaching is there under Vrabel, it's a tongue twister, uh, that they are going to keep games close and potentially even still be in contention in that division. So I do think Tannehill deserves merit in super flex formats, both in redraft and dynasty, and certainly does bump Burks and Chagosia and McConquo down a little bit because part of the appeal to those guys was volume. And Tannehill was a guy that we had been screaming about in drafts where he was going round 14 in in dynasty startups. Round 14. And this is still a guy who's had multiple QB1s on his resume, a guy who's who's played played well and shown that he could be there. Dave, when we look at, you know, we look at Chig, we look at Burks, two guys that we absolutely loved. They're Twitter darlings. You know, everybody was raging about them. And a lot of it really had to do with volume. Both of them highly talented players, but we were really anticipating the volume. So my instant reaction on Traylon Burks, who I love, you know, I, I have him everywhere. Whereas this isn't a sell point for Traylon Burks. I had so many people reaching out there selling for less than a 24 first. I'm like this. We were predicting a breakout. I saw one where someone traded, uh, it was Cortland Sutton in the 24 second. You're like, Traylon Burks is still a, a fantastic wide receiver. I think there's a situation here where 
Now he gets to play instead of the X, he gets to play on the on the opposite side. Learn from DeAndre Hopkins. He flashed last year. He's the round one draft capital. And Chig, across the board, his efficiency at tight end last year was phenomenal. So how do you see this shaking out for both of these guys this year? Because that's the biggest question. Everyone's like panic selling these guys, but they're still young. They're still talented. And I think now is not clearly not the time. Yeah, I mean, I know you talk about it all the time, like playing the long game and not trying to, you know, get too shaken up by these little microtransactions and things like that. And you said it, you know, at the, he's a first round pick. And at the end of the day, these are the guys you want to invest in our first round wide receivers. So even if this does slightly bump down his 2023 projections, I'm not really panicking long-term because you still want to believe in the talent. And he is a very talented player. Like you said, showed a lot of flashes last year. So, uh, you know, in, in redraft, 2023 in my best ball takes and things like that. I did knock him down about six spots, but uh, I think what you talked about, you know, getting the mentorship from DeAndre Hopkins, it could help him even more so long-term. It could help take some pressure off of him. So I haven't changed my stance on Traylon Burks at all since this move. I had him as a buy all off season. And if now I can buy him for even cheaper, I'm just continuing to try to buy him more. I love that because I, I moved him. I, he's in the same tier for me. I moved him from 21 to 24. You know, he's still in that same area. I have him right in that area with like Michael Pittman, you know, slightly behind Christian Watson, some players like that um, who, you know, he's a, he's a buy right now. And if you are in a rebuild mode, he's the perfect guy to go out there and buy, kick the tires, see what you can do. The biggest loser to me, Dave, is, is Mac Jones. So, right. We're talking about New England getting DeAndre Hopkins. Juju Smith-Schuster all of a sudden finds himself as the wide receiver one there. And now Mac Jones, you know, who a lot of people are starting to come around a little bit, has arguably the worst wide receiver core in the NFL now. Yeah, and I don't even know if Juju is going to be healthy. I mean, he's had that knee problem that's been dealing, bothering him all offseason. So, you know, if he ends up missing some time in training camp, I'm going to be even more worried. Uh, I'd say wheels up for Mike Gusecki if we're we're going to start talking about the Patriots a little bit. That's the guy that I'm excited about there. But, yeah, man, it's it's a weird situation for Mac Jones. I think most people from the outside have looked at Mac Jones and said that he probably isn't the long-term solution. But Bill Belichick just has it in him that he is going to try to contend every single year, regardless of what the roster looks like. And they keep kind of pushing the chips in, even though they're running out of chips to push in. Uh, I don't really know what the long-term outlook looks like for Mac, but it wouldn't surprise me if this is his last year as a starter. And that's that Patriots way. I mean, that's Vrabel's the same thing, right? They, it's yeah. funny that they're they're tied together. I mean, it's like you think Tennessee when they when I first heard that that was a landing spot for Nuke, I'm like, it's not happening. Like that just doesn't make any sense. But they just want to keep winning. They want to try to do their thing. I, I love talking about Nuke, but tonight's show we're talking about nuclear takes, man. We are talking about the hot hot takes, the ones that really are, are going to blow your mind. And Dave, you're you know former Chicago area guy. My my hot take at quarterback was gonna be Justin Fields. You know, over the last over the last two years, two years ago I said Jalen Hurts was gonna be top eight. Last year I said he was gonna be one when we did our hot take show. Now we got Justin Fields. He's that new hotness. What is your hot take on Justin Fields? You know, you said you wanted some nuclear hot takes. You know, I didn't want to come out here and throw something soft out there. So I figured I'd start really hot right off the bat. I think this year, not just long term, I'm not talking five years from now. I think this year. Justin Fields sets the all-time Bears passing record. And while that might sound like a huge bar to clear, when you realize that it's Eric Kramer with 3,838 yards, it doesn't sound quite so intimidating anymore. And last year we saw Justin Fields really show up as a rushing threat and, you know, rush for over 1,000 yards and, you know, solidify himself as maybe one of the best running rushing quarterbacks in NFL history. 
but that's not his game. And that's not what he was drafted for. He was a great pocket passer at Ohio State and just didn't have the personnel last year to get it done. You see him at the end of games, you know, force feeding balls to Amir Smith-Marset and Equinemius St. Brown and Nikhil Harry and guys that don't even have any business being on an NFL field, let alone in the final minutes of a fourth quarter close matchup. So this offseason, they went out and they completely revamped everything on the passing side. Uh, not only did they trade for Chase Claypool last year, which we can laugh at the, uh, uh, you know, what they got back in return may not have been the best trade, but you know, I like that rather than just saying, well, we kind of whiffed on it. Let's hope it works with Chase Claypool. They still went out this offseason and traded for DJ Moore. On top of that, they brought in Roshan Johnson, who specializes as a pass blocker. So that's going to help him get a little bit more time in the pocket. And then, of course, Darnell Wright, you know, took him 10th overall in the draft. So they've done everything they can to try to beef up the pass game here in Chicago. And I, I like it because we know that he can pass the ball. We haven't seen it yet at the NFL level, but they are supporting him with everything that they possibly can to help elevate that part of his game. So he, just love what the Bears are doing this offseason. And I think that Justin Fields... You know, right. I, I said the all time Bears passing record a little over thirty eight hundred yards. But uh, the really nuclear take would be that he becomes the first Bears quarterback to ever pass for four thousand yards this year. That's awesome. I love that. So let's let's say you're you're a Bears fan. We see just Justin Fields throw for four thousand yards, rush for a thousand yards. They make the playoffs. Here's the question for you. Does he pass Jay Cutler on your all-time favorite quarterback list? <laughs> if he goes for 4,000 and 1,000, yeah. But right now, uh, Jay Cutler is still my guy. That being said, though, I'm expecting a pretty big diff in the rushing output. Um, you mm -hmm. know, last year, it's not like they were drawing up rush uh, a lot of rushes for him. There weren't a lot of designed run calls. It was just the, the play breaking down and, you know, the offensive line letting people through and his receivers inability to get open downfield. And then he'd end up scrambling for his life. So this year I'm expecting a little bit more, you know, five to 600 yards passing because I want to see him in the pocket. You know, we've seen it with Josh Allen and we saw it last year with Jalen Hurts. We talked about it with Kyler Murray. If you want long-term success in the NFL, you have to do it as a passer. So I think what they're doing right now is setting themselves up where they're in a position where they built a strong team around Justin Fields. So if he takes that step forward, awesome. The Bears are ready to go. They've got a good offense. And if he doesn't, they can go draft Caleb Williams or Drake May next year. They've got two first-round picks, which they can hopefully use to move up in the draft. And then they can put a rookie quarterback, reset that rookie contract window, and have mm -hmm. a good supporting cast around him. That's obviously worst-case scenario, though. I'm predicting that Justin Fields takes that step forward. Yeah, and a lot of people forget how great of a passer he was when, at, when he was at Ohio State. You know, it's like this is now an offensive line that gets a little bit better. The weapons get a little bit better. I'm with it. Uh, speaking of a situation that gets better, new, uh, we're talking nuclear takes here among Lamar Jackson in 2023. You've been talking about it for months. I've been drafting him everywhere for months. Just how hot is Lamar Jackson going to be in 2023? Well, I think Dave will appreciate this take with that Lamar jersey hanging out behind him for those of you who are watching on the YouTube channel. But my nuclear take here is that Lamar Jackson will not only be the overall fantasy QB1, but he will repeat as MVP as he did in 2019. And I don't even think it's that crazy of a take. From weeks 1 to 12 last year prior to the knee sprain, Lamar was the QB5 in fantasy points per game. And in the first four weeks of 2022, prior to Rashad Bateman's foot injury, Lamar was the fantasy QB1 in both points per game and overall. So if we're going to assume that Rashad Bateman is going to be back fairly healthy, if Odell Beckham is even 60 to 70% of his peak form, 
And if Zay Flowers can be even adequate as a receiver, as a rookie, I think Lamar Jackson's poised to absolutely crush his previous career highs in both passing yardage and touchdowns, especially with Todd Monken expected to increase the Ravens' pass rate and pace of play. To me, it's kind of crazy that Lamar's being drafted a full round behind Mahomes on underdog. In Dynasty, even in Superflex formats, he's dropping to the 6th, 7th, 8th overall picks. He's my QB1 for 2023, and I've already bet him to win MVP at plus 1,500, so I'm all in. I, I'm, I'm with you. He's got the Lamar Jackson behind, jersey behind him for Dave. I know we were talking about it when we were on your show. I mean, Lamar Jackson, that is, doesn't even feel like a hot take. But, I mean, Dave, it wasn't that long ago where we were talking about a contract situation. I know you and I wanted him to go to Atlanta. We were talking about all this and that. Where we were – I mean, Lamar Jackson in Dynasty was was moving outside the top six, outside the top eight because of that unknown, you know, contract situation. Now that he gets that contract, I mean, how high up do you have him this year for 2023? Because I have not seen anybody have him outside that top five, six. He looks like a smash as a top five quarterback. Yeah, that's where he's at is five for me, and I never wavered. You know, I'm, I've been betting on the talent and trusting that things would work out, and even if he didn't re-sign with Baltimore, he was going to land in a spot that would have been fine. You know, he's just mm-hmm. kind of uh, – we, we saw kind of the worst-case scenario when he was playing with Devin Duvernay as his wide receiver one and, you know, didn't have the best offensive line for a couple of years there, and he was still able to put up elite fantasy production. So, um, yeah, I think anybody moving him – I mean, I, I did a startup last offseason, a super flex startup where I was able to get him at the 10th overall pick – just absolutely blew my mind that he was sliding that far because of this uncertainty. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm completely with Lamar as a top five dynasty quarterback still. Yeah, I got him at 112 in Smash Except 8. It blew my mind. It was just like instant value. You guys both took my quarterback guys that I had had ones written up for. So we're going to get a little bit of bonus content with dad. But for me, my, my dynasty dad approved by is Deshaun Watson. I think Deshaun Watson bounced back. And, you know, this is a guy that's been a top five quarterback every season from 2018 to 2020. We know what happened, you know, over the last year and a half. Obviously, there were some issues up and down. But this is a guy that I think finishes as a top eight quarterback who throws for 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns in Cleveland. Dave, is that is that too hot to talk about Deshaun Watson? We saw him shake some of that rust off towards the end. He looks great from everything I've seen in training camp. Add Elijah Moore, Amari Cooper. It looks fantastic. David Njoku, I think, is going to have a phenomenal season. How high up do you have Deshaun Watson? I know it's on that fringe of being hot, not quite nuclear like you guys put out there. Yeah, he's my uh, Dynasty QB8. You know, okay. I love Deshaun Watson. Got him at the uh, start of the second round of SFB. And, you know, you talk about insulated value. I hear you guys talk about that a lot on this show. I don't know if there's anybody with more insulated value than Deshaun Watson right now. If they cut him this year, they're eating like $280 million in dead cap. Next year, yeah. it's like $230 million. They're basically on the hook for $100 million plus in dead cap if they cut him any time in the next four years. So basically, the Browns have to figure this out. They don't really have another choice. He is going to be their starter, and I like what they did this year. You know, they went out and they traded for Elijah Moore. They used Mm -hmm. their first pick this year, which was a third-round pick because of the Deshaun Watson acquisition, but they used that pick on Cedric Tillman. They re-signed David Njoku, like you said. So he is surrounded by really, really good playmakers this year. And then Amari Cooper. I mean, he's still going to be there for a couple more years. Just steady Eddie. I mean, the guy doesn't get the respect that he deserves, but any year that he has played 16-plus games, he has caught at least 1,000 yards. And now you've got a hopefully revitalized Elijah Moore on a new offense. So I am completely in on a Deshaun Watson bounce back. I was trying to buy him 
for low as much as I can is in, in as many dynasty leagues as I could last year. It seems like a lot of people now are starting to warm up to the idea that he's going to be a better quarterback. You're not getting him for quite as cheap as you were last year. But, uh, yeah, if you can get him for, you know, anything below market value, I'm getting that without thinking twice. Yeah, and that's one Mung and I have been on since, you know, February where we were buying at a certain price where he was going late second. Now all of a sudden he's going early second. I'm seeing him go late for, late first, you know, in your, in your super flex startups. And, you know, the ceiling is right there, right around, right behind where Lamar Jackson is, right behind where Justin Herbert is, in that same area as Fields and Lawrence. And a lot of people are acting like that's a bold take. And for me, this there's just so much talent there. It wasn't long ago where we were saying he was the top three dynasty quarterback talent-wise. He still is. He's just got to get back into form. Dave, you know, we talked – Deshaun Watson had a little bit of a rough patch. No quarterback had more of a rough patch last year than, you know, just predicting a breakout to absolute decimation of value than your next quarterback. Yeah, and uh, I'm just going to straight up recycle this take from when we did our show a couple of weeks ago when I talked about Russell Wilson. Um, I, I just can't look at last year as anything other than an obvious outlier. It was a career-low touchdown rate, career-high interception rate, and new coach, new team, new city, new scheme, all that stuff. It's understandable that there are going to be some growing pains there with his first year in Denver. But if you look historically, he was a top-10 quarterback for eight straight seasons, and in four of those eight seasons, he was a top-three quarterback or better so they beefed up the offensive line with Mike McGlinchey and Ben Powers they brought in Samaj P. Ryan to help alleviate some of the things that he can't do with his legs anymore you know got him a good safety valve to catch the ball out of the backfield as well got Tim Patrick back hopefully Javante Williams is back at some point this year uh, reports are that Cortland Sutton is actually shaking off that rust and looking good again. So I don't want to, you know, sit here and tout Cortland Sutton, but they have a ton of weapons on there. Haven't even talked about Jerry Judy and Greg Dulcich and Albert Okwenabinum. I mean, no dearth of talent there in Denver. Uh, they also traded up to get Marvin Mims this year and then tie it all together with Sean Payton. You know, they went out and they traded a first round pick to bring in Sean Payton, much like we were just saying with Deshaun Watson and the insulated value there. This is an ironclad contract. Denver cannot get out of this deal with Russ Wilson, so they're going to have to make it work. And uh, it seems like they're doing everything they can to put him in a position to succeed and bounce back this year. I, I love that because, you know, and I, I don't want to skip around too many position-wise, but Greg Dulcich is one of my hot takes. You know, he's someone that I've been buying everywhere. If you can make the case, obviously he has college down, dominator, downfield rate, athletic i mean you know he's a guy that's an absolute freak he had the draft capital rookie production the system looks fantastic and oh yeah sean payton likes to target the tight end it's something that's definitely going to happen there i think this is a season where greg dulcich is a outlier top five tight end type season if he if they use him properly and i know that's about as hot as it gets when we talk about the tight end position but if you say top 12, that's not really a thing, right? Like if you're a top 12 tight end, that happens all the time. So we're not really getting too nuclear there with that. Love the Denver situation. Uh, let's move to your quarterback, Mung. You have a second quarterback here who you have as a super hot take. Yeah, and again, to me, these don't feel like super hot takes, but I think the majority of the community would disagree. And my number two is that Tua Tungavailoa will outscore Justin Herbert this year. A lot of people love Herbert. The Kellen Moore hiring as offensive coordinator has really supercharged his fantasy outlook. And look, I like Herbert. I think he's a top 10 QB in fantasy and in real life. They added Quentin Johnson. But at the same time, I don't know that this offense is going to change a ton under Moore other than increased efficiency, which I would project anyway with Herbert mm -hmm. being healthy this year. 
look, last year, LA was already fifth in pass rate over expectation, sixth in red zone pass rate over expectation. Both of those were higher than the Cowboys under Kellen Moore, and the Chargers were already fourth in neutral situational pace. So it's not like they weren't playing fast already. I think that Herbert's going to be good. Like I said, top 10. But again, when you look at Tua, he was already QB 10 in fantasy points per game last year, even with some down games after the concussions. Plus, that was the first year under Mike McDaniel and his offensive scheme. And then now on top of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, they added another big play threat in Devon Achey. The only argument here against Tua is health, but I've brought up before that while he is somewhat of a risk, it's not a foregone conclusion that he has to miss time in 2023. Devontae Adams suffered multiple concussions back in 2017. His ADP dipped the following year in 2018 when he ended up finishing as the overall wide receiver one. And he plays a position where he takes a lot more hits and tackles. So I think Tua is really, really undervalued right now. I think that the Dolphins have a shot at the AFC East and could even be Super Bowl contenders as long as Tua stays healthy. And I absolutely love him in fantasy this year. These are some of my favorite shows because we talk about them and we're, we're, we're putting out hot takes, right? We're saying things that are, you know, high range of outcomes and they, they feel good right now though, right? Like we, we like to tell ourselves in Dynasty and in the fantasy football community, Dave, that, you know, we start to believe certain narratives and we, we, we really start to push that way. Since you've gotten a lot more in the industry of, and full time, like how do you check yourself on some of those narratives? Like who are those guys that you trust? You know, how do you, what's the process that you go through, right? Because this is, this is a fun show. This is where we talk about, these are our takes. This would be awesome if this happens because we can see these realm of possibilities, but how do you, you know, fade out the noise of what's a, a real narrative to believe and what's one that just, you know, someone's leading you down the wrong path. Uh, you know, I, I'm very selective about the content that I consume. I have a very short list of people who I'll, I'll listen to and follow, but yeah, shows like this are a lot of fun because, you know, we, we are just talking about the, best highest range of outcomes here and uh well i agree with everything that mung said there i don't know why you had to bring justin herbert into it i mean couldn't you have just said that like Tua was going to be a top five quarterback why do you got to slay to my boy herbert like that like what did he ever do why did he why is he catching straight if, here if two is top five somebody's got to drop out of the top five or six right Fair enough, but I, I don't know if it's going to be Herbert, man. I, I could have just as easily, one of my hot takes could have been Herbert being QB1 overall this year, expecting big things from him. But yeah, Mike, you know, that, that, that's a good question. And um, I, I think you just got to learn to trust some of the people that you listen to. Um, you know, I'm, I'm big on kind of keeping the circle tight and trying not to bring in too much. Um, I like to try to analyze the sport with as, as little noise as possible. So mm -hmm. um, I, I know it sounds crazy because I'm a podcaster and a writer, but I really don't listen to all, all that many podcasts and read all that many articles. I like to kind of evaluate things from as blank of a slate as I can. Yeah, I like that a lot. Like when I first started this whole process about four years ago, I used to listen to everybody's podcast, right? Because it was like, oh, I want to get this in. I want to soak it all in. And, you know, at this point, like I listen to yours a little bit. I'll do some things with football guys but and Chad Parsons over at UTH. But there isn't much. You know, you want to come out with your own individual content and talk about individual content. Let's, let's talk about these rookie running backs. Let's switch over to running backs. Two running backs will finish as top 12, but Bijan Robinson finishes as the RB1 overall all right you look at what Tyler Algiers did last year over the from week 13 on 18 carries over 100 yards in every single one and that's a fifth round running back you know now you enter B. John Robinson and this is an area where I think he gets 320 plus touches this is an area where I think he, he absolutely smashes at 
the position for receptions, and he breaks Eric Dickerson's 1983 rookie fantasy points record. You know, and we talk about what has to be involved to be an RB1 overall, you know, and I, I, I want to, you know, for context, shout out to my boy Alex Caruso. Nine of the last 10 players that have been RB1 overall are 25 or younger. Check that. 11 of the last 12 are guys that are drafted inside the top 12. And no one's repeated. So, I mean, I want to say it's Christian McCaffrey. I want to go this route. I want to move this way. So, if you guys remember, three years ago, I said it was going to be Alvin Kamara. Two, that, that actually hit. Two years ago, I said it was going to be Jonathan Taylor. Last year was Christian McCaffrey. So, if you look at points per game, he was right there. For me, B. John Robinson has the ability to be the RB1 overall in not just Dynasty, but in redraft this season. Dave, is that, is that too hot? You know, like I, I absolutely love Bijan Robinson and I drafted him everywhere. You know, a lot of people are saying, Hey, let's move off and let's see if we can tear back and, and get a little bit more value. But man, the, the sky's the limit for this guy. Yeah. I think he's going to be really good. Um, I, I don't know if I agree that he's worth holding in all formats. I had the one-on-one in one league and I did trade it away just because I felt like the hype got a little bit crazy there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that he is likely to finish as the RB one. Uh, the main thing is Arthur Smith, which I, I, I don't know if uh, I, I missed it, if you mentioned it or not, but I mean, Arthur Smith is just going to relentlessly pound the rock mm-hmm. and that's why they spent that eighth overall pick on Bijan. So uh, love that call out, but also like that you very sneakily slipped in Jameer Gibbs there, which I just said the other day, one of my kind of hot takes that I've been talking about a little bit on shows and stuff recently is that the only reason Jameer Gibbs isn't getting drafted in you know, the, the middle of the second round or the one, two turn is because of Bijan. I think that mm-hmm. drafters and rankers are terrified to put two rookies inside their top 10. But if you look at Gibbs's profile, where he was drafted, his target share in college, his landing spot and all those things, there's no reason Gibbs shouldn't be getting drafted, you know, talking about 2023 leagues as a top five, top six running back. Yeah, and running backs that get drafted where he did, he did, they don't miss. And you're right. I mean, if Bijan didn't go before him at eight, you know, if this is if this is last year's class and Gibbs goes 12, you know, or even you know, like in that, it's the only guy to go in that area. It's an absolute smash, and so many people have gotten crazy value. I saw a guy the other day. He goes, "Hey, I have the 101, and the guy at the 102 is offering me two 24 firsts to move up for Bijan, Jameer Gibbs, and two 24 firsts. I mean, you know, you could argue one, but this is a ser- situation where you can extrapolate some serious value. But I do think Bijan Robinson absolutely owns this year and just dominates in in 2023. Um, Dave. We're talking about guys that hit. There's a running back out there, and I know you've been you've been digging deep on this who might not hit on your list. Yeah, so I don't know how much time you want to spend on this, but I woke up this morning, and I just wanted to breathe fire all over Alexander Madison. I felt like the hype was just getting too out of control, so I spent all day today writing about a 2,000-word article on Alexander Madison, and the title of this article is Alexander Madison is the dead zone running back to avoid this year. And I think people just got a little bit too excited. And, you know, I can look at all the numbers and all that. But I think really what happened here is, Mike, Mung, you guys know it. I mean, we have wanted Alexander Madison to break out for years. We've been acquiring him whenever we could since 2020. You know, we get this idea that he's this one-to-one replacement for Dalvin Cook. And when he Mm -hmm. stepped in in those spot starts, he was unbelievable. But I I don't think that people realize that his – uh, efficiency just fell off a cliff last year. I mean, there isn't one single efficiency metric you can find that he didn't set a career low in last year, and he did that on very low volume as well, which is another thing that scares me. You know, I looked at his 
uh, splits without Dalvin Cook. So, you know, taking those starts, those six starts out of the equation. And he's actually seeing less touches under Kevin O'Connell than he did over his four years or his three year stint with Mike Zimmer. And then on top of that, you know, I talk about these six starts and everybody uses that. You know, he scored over 20 points per game in the games that he started. But that is missing a huge chunk of context here. So I looked at the six starts that he had and four of those six starts were against bottom four defenses in the league. We're talking about the Lions, the Seahawks between 20 and 2021, which was just absolutely terrible. The two times that he had to play up against a good defense, which was week six in 2020, he played against the Falcons and then week 16 in 2021 against the Rams. In those matchups, he averaged 33 rushing yards, 16 receiving yards and less than 10 fantasy points per game. Now you look at those splits against the Detroit Lions and the Seattle Seahawks, which were absolutely terrible those years. That's where he was putting up 103 rushing yards, 46 receiving yards, a touchdown per game, and averaging nearly 30 points per game. So we're looking at this very muddy data where he had a handful of starts against very, very bad defenses, and it's making people think he's something that he's not. I just look at the competition that they have right there. Ty Chandler, Kenny Nuangu. Uh, you know, may not have been the best players so far in their career, but they're both 200 plus pounds. They both profile to take on a significant work. And I'm just afraid that, you know, th- this projected volume that we're talking about with Alexander Madison, people are calling it guaranteed volume. I just think it's irresponsible to say that when you've got other talented backs there and we still have Fournette and Zeke and, uh, you know, Kareem Hunt and who knows, maybe even Dalvin Cook. They had a $7 million offer on the table for him. I think they mm-hmm. end up adding a running back. So right now we're looking at what we expect to be, you know, just a replacement for Dalvin Cook when the reality is Alexander Madison hasn't been that good in the last couple of years. I don't know if the new coaching staff trusts him and he just feels like he has bust written all over him this year. Yeah, I mean, I I put out a thread today on, on Khalil Herbert, a similar, similar type situation where a guy is a backup backup running back but if you look at the trajectory of him, Khalil Herbert was efficient and played well. Alexander Madison, the absolute opposite. And right now they're, they're flip-flopped in ADP exactly where they're at. And I love that take because I, I think a lot of people are really too high on Madison. We're talking about, you know, potential backup running backs getting an opportunity. Mung, you and Dave both have the same guy here. And, you know, I, I'm starting to believe a little bit in his counterpart because I started to take him in, in dynasty drafts and everything like that. But you have a bold take on someone here who's definitely outside the top 30 dynasty running back. Yeah, I my hot take here is that Damian Harris will outscore Damian Pierce in 2023, which I know people are absolutely going to hate. But uh, here's, here's my outlook. Ramondre Stevenson was very good last year, but there's a reason that Damian Harris saw more carries than Stevenson in the games that both were healthy. Now, Harris isn't a super efficient runner, nor does he have the speed to break away for those flashy long touchdown runs that we all love. But at the same time, 5'10", 220-pound hammer. And prior to a hamstring injury in week five last year, Harris scored three touchdowns in the Patriots' first four games, and he was a top 20 running back in PPR points per game. Now, Josh Allen has already said this offseason that while he's still going to run and scramble and do some of the great things that we love seeing Josh Allen do, he may not run quite as much as he has in prior years. And there's a reason that the Bills, who are a divisional rival of the Patriots, quickly signed Harrison free agency. I bet that they remember when a healthy Damian Harris ran for over 200 yards and four touchdowns in their two matchups back in 2021. 
So when the snow and the winds pick up in December and January in Buffalo, I think Harris could see a ton of work, especially over the second half of the season and most critically in the fantasy playoffs. And finally, maybe this is a little bit too much galaxy braining, but Damian Harris gets a Swiss cheese Chargers run defense in week 16 in the fantasy semifinals. And then week 17, the fantasy championships, he gets a revenge game against the New England Patriots. That is spicy. Dave, I'm starting to come around on James Cook a little bit. You know, I was completely out on him. And the the Buffalo offense is is fantastic. You want as many pieces as possible in that scenario. How do you see this backfield running back – you know, shaking out between the two running backs, what kind of split? A lot of people are really in on Cook. A lot of people are really in on Harris. Mung and I always talk about let's take the the cheapest volume here. I mean, both these guys right now, James Cook's still worth a little bit less than a first. You know, you could probably get him for a pair of seconds. Damian Harris, you could definitely get for a second. Mung and I have been getting him almost as an add-on. You're like, you get a deal close. Hey, I'll throw you a third if you throw me Damian Harris. Let's get this thing done. You know, let's go into that area. So talk to me a little bit about that Buffalo situation because everybody wants a piece. Which side should they be on? One of the trades I made recently was having Ramadre Stevenson, and I flipped him for Damian Harris, Khalil Herbert in a second. And I'm just not a huge believer in Ramadre being the long-term option there. You know, I just think that Damian Harris is such an underrated asset. And this was before the Buffalo trade, so I was really happy to see him get that good landing spot. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we saw Devin Singletary was just consistently churning out RB2 seasons, and he was getting pigeonholed into a role that he wasn't really fit for. I mean, they were asking him to run between the tackles and be the goal line back and then do some things out in the passing game. They were kind of asking him to be a do-it-all back, and that's not really what he can do well. Damian Harris is bigger, stronger, faster, more powerful, more burst. I mean, he does everything better than Devin Singletary. So if Devin Singletary could turn out back-to-back-to-back RB2 seasons – I don't see any reason that Damian Harris couldn't as well. And then James Cook, you know, really exciting player, led the league in breakaway run rate last year. But I think that he is just destined for this kind of change of pace role where you're going to see six to eight carries per game, maybe a few targets here and there, and he'll break off some big plays. But I just don't think he has the frame to ever really take on a significant role. He's just going to be kind of a, a boomer bust player when he's able to rip off a big play and score a touchdown, you're happy. And the weeks that he doesn't, he's going to be putting up three, four points in your lineup. Yeah, and Damian Harris is a goal line machine. I mean, it was just two years ago he was winning new fantasy championships, you know, getting getting that, those starts late in the season. I'm glad you said Ramondre Stevenson because that's my next one on my hot take. <laughs> is So we talked about New England situation being bad, right? And this isn't this is more just volume type opportunity. But if you look at Ramondre Stevenson, my hot take is that he has over 100 targets this year. Ramondre Stevenson last year, 58% of route participation, 82 targets. That was, uh, you know, among among running backs was up towards the top. This is a situation where they are going to need someone to step up. And I think Ramondre Stevenson has the chops there. I'm excited to see him. I like him, you know, as a as a top 10 to 12 running back this year. And I, I enjoy him in Dynasty as well. You know, and I know you said you might feel like he might not be the long term answer there. But I really I, I got to get me some more Ramondre Stevenson. You know, you got to get into that area. Any more running back hot takes before we move on to the wide receivers? I feel like running backs one that we could hit on, you know, 10 to 15 of them because it's fun. Mung, there's a guy that that I know I've promoted in the past and I've been like, hey, buy this guy, buy this guy, buy this guy. And now I think you're starting to come around on him for 2023. Right, and Dynasty GMs are not going to want to hear this because it's an old running back. He might as well be 75 in the eyes of most Dynasty GMs. But I think Alvin Kamara is going to be a top 12 fantasy running back once again in 2023. 
I know he's being left for dead right now. The efficiency wasn't great last season as a runner, but do we really care that much? Because Camaro was still uber productive as a receiver out of the backfield in 2022. He ranked 11th in routes run, 6th in yards per route run. He was also the RB7 last year in expected fantasy points per game, but finished as just the RB13 in actual points per game due to a lack of touchdowns. But considering that the Raiders ranked 15th in targets to running backs under Josh McDaniel's new offensive scheme last year, but from 2014 to 2021 with Derek Carr as the starter, the Raiders never finished lower than 12th in targets to running backs, and they finished six times in the top eight in running back targets. So even with Jamal Williams in that Mark Ingram role, vulturing some touchdowns, Taysom Hill probably vulturing a couple as well, I think Kamara can still be a back-end RB1 just on projected receiving usage. And I mentioned on the last show that I think it's likely Kamara's going to be suspended probably two to four games outside shot of six or zero. But I think he can be a top 12 fantasy running back in points per game and possibly even overall if he outperforms in some touchdown expectations. Fantastic. See, you guys are, when we were on football, guys, you guys were talking the same guy. Now we got the same guys again when we're talking about breakouts. You had Damian Harris. Dave Mung says that Marquise Brown will be a top 15 wide receiver. Your hot take was top 20. Is 15, is 20 nuclear enough? You know, should we go top 15? And tell me why you're so much, and I think both of you guys talked about it on your podcast, why you're so in on Marquise Brown for 2023. So I think so much of where he finishes this season, if you got week one here and week 17 here, wherever Kyler Murray can come back, you know, if Kyler Murray comes yeah. back week, week three or week four, he's got top 10 in his range of outcomes. But if he's coming back late in the season, then I'm tempering expectations a little bit. But, you know, we, we did talk about it on my show. And for years we saw in Baltimore that Marquise Brown was just a ticking time bomb. I mean, his per route metrics were uh, just just off the charts and we were waiting for it all to come together. And then we saw it come together last year on a team with a suspended DeAndre Hopkins, a team with a high neutral uh, script pass rate, a, a team with a hyper efficient Kyler Murray. What did he do over that stretch? He averaged 10.7 targets per game. He was a wide receiver five in PPR scoring. He was just an absolute target hog, carving up defenses, scoring touchdowns, doing everything that we've wanted him to see during this whole, you know, frustrating career that he had in, in Baltimore before that. So now with DeAndre Hopkins out of the picture, I'm expecting him to just, you know, the, 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 there's nobody else that's going to challenge him for targets there. I'm not that concerned about. Uh, you know, Michael Wilson or Greg Dorch or Rondale Moore. It is going to be the Marquise Brown show in Arizona. So even if we do have kind of a rough start to the season with Clayton Toon or Colt McCoy or whoever it may be, when Kyler Murray returns, Marquise Brown is going back to that elite wide receiver one status, and he's just going to be a hammer down the stretch to help you win your playoffs. When do you anticipate Kyler Murray? Because uh, that's, that's the big question. I got him in Scott Fishbowl in the seventh round. I feel like that's almost a cheat code because if he comes back, he's eyeing week one, right? And a lot of people are saying week six, week nine, you know, in that area. Man, if, if he comes back in a situation like in redraft and in the Scott Fishbowl, this is an area where if you're playing super flex and you get him that deep into the league, it's like having another QB1 right there right off the bat. Yeah, and I'm pulling up the schedule right now. I was looking at this recently, and I think that week 10 would be the latest that we see him come back because they have a really soft schedule leading up to their week 14 bye. So if he can come back for week 10, they get Atlanta, Houston, 
the Rams, and then the Steelers. I mean, four cake matchups before he can rest up before the bye. So I would expect to see him back before week 10, uh, but hopefully sooner. I mean, the week one would be kind of crazy, but, uh, you know, we hear like it's typically an eight to nine month timetable for quarterbacks to return after an ACL. So uh, looking at that timetable, ideally, you know, he is back by week three or four. The big thing with Kyler Murray, though, is even if he does return, coming off that ACL, he probably isn't going to have the mobility right off of the back. But that's just good news for Marquise Brown, which means even more targets going his way, less scrambling from Kyler Murray. Obviously, when Kyler's scrambling, he's at his best and he's a more efficient passer. But either way, when Kyler Murray returns, Marquise Brown is just going to be a stud wide receiver one again. Going from a wide receiver who left Baltimore Mung, to a wide receiver who's currently in Baltimore. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna hype up Lamar Jackson as much as you are, who's catching those passes? Well, real quick before I get to the player, I just want to say that I think it's important when you do offseason projections that you're looking at team level projections, right? Does it make mm-hmm. sense if you're high on one player? Does it correlate then to other players? Do do the projections make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Can you have Justin Fields with 5,000 passing yards? Probably not. 4,000, if you get the projections, if you do the math, maybe. So for me, I'm super high on the Baltimore Ravens, and I'm super high on Zay Flowers, who for some reason is being the latest drafted rookie wide receiver, even though he was drafted in the exact same range in the first round of the NFL draft alongside Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jordan Addison, and Quentin Johnston. And Flowers was a 94th percentile college dominator, 89th percentile college target share. And then I just don't get it because, quote unquote, Baltimore is a bad landing spot and Flowers has the most target competitions are the two arguments I've heard the most this offseason. And quite frankly, I disagree on both counts. Again, the Ravens offense is projected to be at least average in pass rate and pace under their new offensive coordinator. I think a lot of people still have that old Greg Roman offense in their mm-hmm. in their heads. And yes, Mark Andrews is projected to be the number one target. But look at the other rookie wide receivers, right? JSN has Metcalf and Lockett in Seattle. Quentin Johnson will be battling for targets with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams if they're healthy. Jordan Addison will be playing with one of the best wide receivers in the league and a target hog in Justin Jefferson, plus a solid receiving tight end as well in TJ Hawkinson. So when you look at it, is it really that crazy to think that Flowers could be the number two target over Rashad Bateman coming back from a major foot injury and Odell Beckham, who said he didn't even have an ACL when he was playing on the Rams a couple of years ago? I think it's not that crazy, and I don't think it's that nuclear of a take to say that Zay Flowers is going to be the highest-scoring rookie wide receiver in fantasy this year over Jason, over Jordan Addison, and over Quentin Johnson. Perfect segue to mine because Jordan Addison is going to be the wide receiver one out of this class for 2023. In Dynasty, It is JSN, no doubt about it. But you look at what Adam Thielen's vacating. Adam Thielen, at 32 years old, completely washed, finished as wide receiver 36. 74 receptions, 107 targets, 716 yards, six touchdowns. And oh, by the way, 15 red zone receptions, that's second in the NFL, and 22 red zone targets, that's sixth in the NFL. I don't think it's a stretch to say that Jordan Addison is a guy that I think finishes as a top 24 wide receiver in an offense that... You know, Dave was mentioning about Alexander Madison. I think this offense has to throw more. And I think Kirk Cousins has a a fantastic season. And kind of like 
you know, what we've seen from Chase and Higgins, I think Jordan Addison fills in that secondary role and is a, a guy that I feel, feel finishes as a wide receiver too in 2023. Dave. Now, this is the time where I say Quentin Johnson is going to be the rookie wide yeah, receiver. Let, let's just hit them all. You did, and then let's call up John and have him tout JSN for us. Let's just run it all out. <laughs> Hey, if right now, I mean, I, I think, you know, JSN's talent is phenomenal. If he landed in either of these situations where we're talking in that same area. So uh, wide receiver two right now that we're going to talk about is a guy that's been top five, top eight year in year out. And Dave, there's a guy that you don't think is going to be even a wide receiver one in 2023. Yeah, you know, looking through all of the takes that I laid out, this might be the spiciest one because Devontae Adams has just been a stud. And I will say that, you know, talent-wise, I think he's the second-best receiver in the league behind Justin mm -hmm. Jefferson. But I hate, I absolutely despise what the Raiders are doing. I think that Josh McDaniels is just a huge fraud. I don't think that he belongs as an NFL coach. Um, and then looking at what they're trying to do with Jimmy Garoppolo, pairing him up with Devontae Adams is just a terrible 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 pairing uh Devontae Adams historically and Mung I know you've got the numbers because we've talked about this before in chats and I don't have them off the top of my head but the majority of Devontae Adams um touchdowns have come deep downfield you know he's had a gunslinger in Aaron Rodgers and a gunslinger in Derek Carr and then you've got Jimmy Garoppolo who's the complete opposite he is a check down machine and he would get you know benefit from yards after the catch from Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Raheem Mostert and the other guys there in San Francisco. So what you're asking Devontae Adams to do if he wants to pair up well with Jimmy Garoppolo is to drop his dot and completely change his game rather than winning routes 15, 20 yards downfield. He's going to be catching screens and slants and trying to do things after the catch. And while he can do that, it's going to dramatically limit his upside. So maybe I'm an idiot for betting against one of the best players in the NFL but looking at some of the target competition there with Jacoby Myers and Hunter Renfro, and then not knowing if they're going to have Josh Jacobs there now to help, you know, keep defenses honest. I'm just really worried about the Raiders offense as, as a whole and, and specifically Devonte Adams, especially with where he's going in the late first round. That's just way, way, way too rich for me to draft him. Yeah. The talent is undeniable. I mean, you know, Devonte Adams is an absolute stud and, you know, I hate betting against guys that do that, but I can see that in the, in the realm of possibilities, you know, and I like that uh, for me, I'm betting on in, in the opposite direction. You know, I'm Mr. Positivity. I don't like to go negative uh, for me. Chris Olave will be a wide receiver one, if not a wide top 10 wide receiver this year. You look at guys yards per route run in, in as a rookie, that did it over a point over 2.25 yards per route run. He's one of just seven guys that have done that. The other ones, Devontae Adams, Stefan Diggs, AJ Brown, Jalen Waddle, Justin Jefferson, and Tyreek Hill. I mean, this guy is the next big breakout wide receiver. And I love that he got, you know, Derek Carr in the mix. This is a guy that I'm buying everywhere in Dynasty. And I feel it's not even that hot, but he's gonna be, you know, after wide receiver 26 last year or 25, he will be a top 10 wide receiver in 2023. Mung. Hit us up with another wide receiver hot take. Uh, I don't think I have any. Uh, I think Marquise Brown was going to be uh, someone that I agreed on with Dave, and uh, we'll go with that one. I I'm just going to concur with Dave. He and I were aligned on Marquise Brown, I believe, last offseason, yeah. and I'll go with that, and I'll also back him up on Devontae Adams, where I don't think he's he should be off anybody's draft boards, but I'll put it this way. As Dave was talking, I was checking my exposure on underdog, and I have 1.3% Devontae Adams and 11.3%
Jacoby Myers in that Julian Edelman type role with Josh McDaniels. So again, I, I, I think he's fine. We know Adams has all the talent in the world. I just don't know that the efficiency is going to be there with Garoppolo and McDaniels. Whereas I do think Shanahan was propping up Garoppolo's numbers a little bit. Dave, the tight end position, and I'm glad you have this guy because I have 17 dynasty rosters and he's on 14 of them. He is my one of my most owned. Him and Dalton Kincaid are my two most owned dynasty tight ends. And you have my man, Darren Waller, with a big-time resurgence here. Talk to me about why, because I absolutely love this take. So I've got him as my tight end three going into 2023 fantasy football drafts right now, which sounds crazy. But for me, it's Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews, who are pretty much neck and neck. Uh, you know, obviously giving the slight edge to Kelsey, but then Waller is close behind. And, you know, for whatever reason, he is getting faded. And I guess, you know, it's because of the age and because of the hamstrings. And those are certainly viable reasons to be concerned. But when you start looking at the numbers and trying to determine, you know, how many, how much is, are the Giants going to pass? And where are those targets going to go? And where are those yards and touchdowns going to go? You realize that Darren Waller is in for a huge serving of volume this year. I mean, it was kind of a running joke this offseason that they just signed nothing but slot receivers. They need somebody that's going to be a red zone presence, and that's Darren yep. Waller. They need somebody that can beat press coverage on the outside. That's Darren Waller. They need somebody that can make contested catches deep downfield. It is Darren Waller. I mean, he is going to be the X factor in this offense. They've got a lot of small guys that can do some fun things in space, but at the end of the day, he is going to be the offensive focal point in that passing game. So I'm taking ahead of TJ Hawkinson, ahead of George Kittle, ahead of Kyle Pitts, ahead of Dallas Goddard. He is locked in as my tight end three for this season. If you said he was going to be above Mark Andrews, you were going to catch some hands from Monk. Monk <laughs> talked about Mark Andrews every single podcast, hits his mandatory guy. So we're even going to we're going to skip where he's at on your hot take. Monk, there's another tight end. You have a little bit of a hot take there, right? I don't want to take it away. You know, it's just like me last year. We were like, Dad, stop talking about Jalen Hurts breaking out as, as the, that guy. You know, stop it. We got to get off the Mark Andrews until the next podcast. So go for it. Yeah, buddy. you guys can go back and listen to some of the older shows, or I'll plug my Fantrax article. I talked about Mark Andrews versus Travis Kelsey's 2023 projections on there. So go check that out. But I also have a lot of Dalton Schultz, who I think is being supremely undervalued. And my hot take, my nuclear take for 2023 is that Dalton Schultz will outscore Evan Ingram, Pat Fryermuth and David Njoku, all guys who are being drafted above him in redraft and dynasty. Look, Houston's defense should be improved under D'Amico Ryans, but there's still not that much talent on that roster outside of Will Anderson on the defensive side of the ball. This is a team that's probably going to get into some shootouts and catch-up game scripts. That plus a middling offensive line is probably going to lead to quite a few check-down targets to none other than Dalton Schultz. And look, nobody expects Schultz to be Andrews or Kelsey or even Waller after the catch, but he can see a lot of volume, much like Zach Ertz did last year in Arizona prior to his injury. Mm -hmm. Schultz has proven to be a solid contested catch guy, a red zone target as well. And look, rookie quarterbacks often rely on their tight ends as their safety blankets. And this should hold especially true for C.J. Stroud, who has said himself that, quote, if my job was to run the ball, I'd be a running back. I throw the ball for a living. So while he has the mobility to run for some yards on scrambles, Stroud has preferred to find his receivers downfield instead. And I think Schultz is the cheapest tight end right now who has a fair chance to actually lead his team in targets, but he's being written off simply because he went from Dallas 
to Houston, which is not as exciting of an offense. Let's also not forget that Schultz is on a one-year, $6 million prove-it deal, so he has ample motivation to produce this season and get the bag from a team next offseason. All right, so Dave, I don't know if you know this, but we now have two podcasts. We have the Smash Except, and then we have one called Smash or Pass. You know, and we do things where it's market values, but you know, we have in our Patreon the amount of people we said, you know, Dave Kluge's coming on. We got to start talking about some of their hot takes. So you know, it's time to get Kluge'd. You're going to either smash or pass. So it's smash, it. smash if you like the take, pass if you don't. Your first one's from Dizzy Dave. He said that DK Metcalf finishes outside the top 20 wide receivers smash or pass smash that was a I took so much heat for that take a couple of years ago when I said that I like DK Metcalf but I don't know if he's going to be this bona fide alpha everyone wants him to be so I'm completely with that one this one's a little bit we we talked about but Galeni says that Lamar Jackson not only finishes as the QB one but wins the MVP in 2023 smash I've already got a bet down for a Lamar MVP all right, this one from our guy questioned underscore snack. It's not super hot take, but Jamar Chase clearly finishes as the wide receiver one overall in his third season. Smash or pass? Pass. Cooper Cup, man. People forget how good this guy is. He's put up 30-plus points in one in three outings over the last two years. If he's healthy, he's the wide receiver one. Corey P33. Now here's your Quentin Johnson. Quentin Johnson finishes as the most fantasy points for a rookie wide receiver and the most among all Charger wide receivers. Smash or pass? That's going to be a double pass. And, uh, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk on it earlier, Mike, but I'm actually with you on the Jordan Addison wide receiver one. That, that's my rookie wide receiver one this year. Uh, I love it. Dom Munoz says Roshan Johnson will be the lead back in Chicago and bell cow by week seven. I don't know about a bell cow, but I think that his role in the passing game sets him up for a higher ceiling. So I actually have him ranked as my RB1 for Chicago. I love this because we, we started a Patreon, you know, so much positive in, interactions with the Smash Accept community. And they, when we said you were on, like, everybody's like, yeah, we got to get these answers. So a couple guys sent a couple. And this is just fun for me. So, like, question snack again says, Devonta Smith outscores A.J. Brown in 2023. Ooh, I love that one. I am very bold. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pass on it, but I do love it. That, that's spicy. I like it. There we go. Uh, we got another one that says Addison. This is from uh, A-Bomb Diggity. He says, uh, what do we have? Algier puts up a second 1,000-yard season. I, I'm not sure if we're going on that one, but uh, MJ. injury for Bijan, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, Dino Fisherman says, this is, this is spicy, man. And I was actually talking about this with a buddy the other day. He said, Richie James will end the season with the most fantasy points of any Kansas City wide receiver. Listen, I'm going to pass because it's spicy, (laughs) but it is actually somewhat believable. Uh, I talked to my buddy Daniel Harms today, who is a, uh, you know, film guy, loves the Chiefs. He does some intense breakdowns on the Chiefs, and he is all in on Richie James this year. I like it because somebody's got to do it, right? We say it every year. Somebody's got to do it. Uh, and then one sent in from Q Bears. J.K. Dobbins is a top 10 running back in 2023. Smashing that one, too. Absolutely love it. J.K. Dobbins is one of my favorite players in the NFL. Uh, Mung, you already talked a little bit about how this Munkin offense is going to really change things up in Baltimore. One of the biggest changes is going to be targets going J.K. Dobbins' way. We haven't seen it in his NFL career. We didn't see it in Ohio State, but he has the skills to be a pass catcher, and I'm hoping they can unlock it this year. 
You guys heard it. That's one of, uh, of Dave's favorite running backs. Dave, you're one of our favorite guests. You know, it's always like family when you come back on here. We absolutely love it. We put it on our calendar every year. You know, it's a good time. So why don't you tell everybody that's – and if you guys don't follow Dave, you absolutely have to, at Dave Kluge. But tell everybody what you're working on. Yeah, right now you can find all my content over at Football Guys, written, video, all that good stuff. But just follow me on Twitter at Dave Kluge. I uh, share all of my content there. Anytime I'm doing any guest spots or anything like this, I share that as well. So just follow me on Twitter and you'll see what I'm up to. And Mung, you know, I know this is that fun time of year. But let's You always hit us up with someone in that final minute. One more quick hot take. Who you got? <laughs> Ooh, how about, let's see. You know, I'll push back on the Richie James one. If Kadarius Tony stays healthy, he will be a top 15 fantasy wide receiver this year. We'll leave that one. That's a big if, but if. That, that's the bigger if. Will he play that many games? Hey, guys, thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the process. Oh, man.